We're in the third week of our message series for the season of Lent, making sense of life, not making sense. And as I noted last week, if ever we offered a message series that perfectly fits the time we find ourselves in, this is it. It's a series that makes complete sense for a time that makes no sense at all. So please consider who you can invite to join us here on campus, online or on demand, for the remaining weeks of this series, and who could benefit from our book, Seriously God, which is a companion piece to this message series, going deeper in the same material that we're covering each week in church. Many people are sharing it with friends and family, who are facing challenges, it can provide help, it can provide hope, it's still on sale in the cafe. Check it out and take a look. We kicked off the series by introducing three principles to keep in mind throughout this series. We said the first principle, it makes sense that God doesn't make sense. If there is an all-powerful, all-knowing being, then of course, he wouldn't always think as we think and act as we act. It just makes sense. Second principle, when God doesn't make sense, it can be an opportunity, an opportunity to grow in our understanding of God because God has revealed himself to us through scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ. He's told us a lot about himself and we can always grow in our understanding. Third principle, don't confuse God not making sense with life not making sense. Last week, we looked at how we can make sense of when God says no. When God says no. Jesus shows us that God says no to actually help us out when it comes to living in freedom from temptation. Temptations that can often become all-consuming, even enslaving, especially when it comes to comfort, compromise, or lack of conviction. The temptations we typically face are largely all about comfort, compromise, or lack of conviction. This week, we're going to look at the times when God lets us down, when God lets us down. We all face daily disappointments, and from time to time, annoying setbacks, and all that is to be expected, and with proper emotional health, dealt with calmly, perhaps, hopefully, even graciously. But then, there are the major promises of life that are a great big deal to us, Marriage, kids, friendships, career, school, money, health. When a major problem interrupts our deepest desires. When we set our heart on a dream that proves elusive. When we set out in a deliberate direction and it turns out it's the wrong direction. 
The instinct is to look for someone to blame. We want someone to blame. And maybe that someone is God. We can begin to wonder if God notices or even cares. We can begin to doubt the very goodness of God. And this is where we find the main character in today's first reading from Genesis. But before getting to his story, we need to look at what precedes his story. Genesis tells us God created the world good, but then there was a fall from grace, and very quickly things went from bad to worse. Humanity becomes corrupted and in need of redemption. To begin this process, God starts with a man, one man. And the plan from the beginning was that this one man would raise a family, and the family would become a tribe, and the tribe would grow into a great nation, a great nation with the mission of redeeming and restoring humanity to right relationship with God. And so he begins with one man named Abraham. We're initially introduced to Abraham and his wife, Sarah, in the 11th chapter of Genesis. And the first thing we learn about them turns out to be the most important thing about them, really the defining fact of the whole story, a fact that needs to be distinctly understood or the story doesn't make any sense. We learn from Genesis, Sarah and Abraham had no children. Now, let me pause right there, because this can be a difficult and challenging reality for any couple. You or someone you know may be like Sarah and Abraham, and it's a heartbreaking heartache for you. Please know we approach this topic with great sensitivity, and our thoughts are with you. This story, however, is not the story about a couple's struggle with infertility. It's a story about one man's struggle with faith. As noted, being childless is always and everywhere a heartbreaking circumstance for any couple. But in many places, it can also be deeply consequential in other ways, impacting your stability in the community, your value as an individual, the long-term stability of your property, even your sense of mortality. And that's where Abraham is when we meet him in this story. God has a plan to bring all humanity back into a relationship with him. He wants all people everywhere to know him, to love him, to serve him. And then there's Abraham, who simply wants a son. And here's what happened. God introduces himself and his great big plan. He says to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. This is an important verse because it contains three conditions or commands and three promises. Abraham is required to give up his homeland, his family, and his inheritance is asking a lot, to say the least. But much more is promised, a new family of his own who will become a great nation and serve as a blessing to the whole world. For any of that to happen, however, 
He still basically needs a son, and so he agrees. You know, most all of us begin or pursue a relationship with God because we have a felt need. We come to God because we want him to deliver deliver something we want. It's true. And here's what we need to know about God. That's fine. That's perfectly okay. He's willing to accept us on those terms. Certainly, God wants our relationship to grow beyond a merely transactional one, but he's willing to start there. God doesn't care why you come to him so long as you come to him. So God promises Abraham a son if he'll leave his family behind, and Abraham agrees. He obeys, sort of. Take a look. Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Lot went with him. Lot was Abraham's nephew. But the command that Abraham received was to leave his family behind, his whole family. He takes Lot along anyway as a kind of plan B. If God doesn't deliver on his end of the promise, Abraham will still have an heir close at hand. Basically, he's not really believing God's promise will be fulfilled. He's wishing it will. He's wishing it will and preparing for the eventuality that it won't. Abraham doesn't start following and serving the Lord in perfect obedience, nor does he proceed that way. We see this throughout his story. Abraham's called our father in faith, but he was far from a perfect father when it came to faith. Because over and over again, he'll cooperate with God only up to a point. And what's the result? Well, every time he meets an obstacle and then compromises his faith commitment, he slows down God's great big plan and delays the outcome that both God and Abraham seek. This happens all the time. We're looking for some outcome. And sure, we wish God would get involved and make it happen, but we proceed as if he won't. We're wishing God will get involved, but not really believing. And you know what? Wishing can't stand up to obstacles and disappointments. Every single time, obstacles and disappointments will crush wishes. Anyway, years passed. Abraham repeats this pattern of waffling over and over again. And over and over again, he delays God's plan. No sign of his son, much less a great nation. Abraham grew to fear that he had wasted his time. When it looks like our hopes and dreams for the future won't come to fruition, it can create fear in us. A lot of people live their lives in that fear. All of which brings us to a kind of culmination to the story. Probably the most famous scene in this story. You've probably heard it before. Abraham is old and afraid and facing death and the dead end of his dreams. And he does something very interesting. He vents to God. He gives voice to his anger. 
You might be feeling like that right now, today. You might be thinking, God, you didn't come through for me on this one. God, you let me down, and I'm angry about it. That's what Abraham thought, and that's what he told the Lord. And the conversation between Abraham and God goes back and forth a bit, and you can read all about it in the 15th chapter of Genesis. But we're just going to skip ahead to the end of that very frank conversation. And here's what God said. God said, don't be afraid, Abraham. And then the Lord took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And so it was. God invited Abraham to count the stars of the sky. Only one problem with that, it was daytime. (laughs) We learned just two paragraphs later that this happened in broad daylight. Obviously, there was no way Abraham could even see the stars, much less count them. In other words, God is illustrating for Abraham what the exercise of faith looks like. Elsewhere, Scripture puts it succinctly this way. Faith is conviction about things not seen. Abraham can't see a single star, but he knows they're there. That's the kind of response God is looking for when it comes to his promises. And here, Abraham apparently finally got it. Because next we read, Abraham put his faith in the Lord, who credited to him as an act of righteousness. His faith, not his hope and dreams, not his fondest wishes, his faith. And God credited it to him as righteousness. In other words, it was exactly the response that God was after. Simply believing God has value to God. Just as any relationship is built on trust, trusting God puts us in right relationship with him. You know, God wants to bless us and to bless others through us. But to ever receive those blessings or even actually to be open to them at all, can only happen in a solid relationship of trust. Through and beyond the storms and setbacks of life, a solid relationship of trust. So, homework for the second week of Lent. How about reading chapter 2 of Seriously God in preparation for your small group discussion this week. In chapter 2, we explore... Two other reasons God can seem to let us down that we didn't have time to talk about today. Two, I just want to give you a little encouragement regarding those penances that many of you have undertaken for Lent. Keep giving up what you've given up. It will make the experience, the journey of Lent, a richer one. And third, take some time this week in your quiet time to look into your heart and to see is there anything that feels like a disappointment when it comes to God? Any place it feels like he lets you down. Talk to him about it. Tell him exactly how you feel. If you have to, vent a little. You know what? He can take it. In today's gospel, 
We read of the famous scene of the transfiguration, Jesus' divinity shining through his humanity. This scene precedes Jesus' death on the cross, a devastating loss, an overwhelming reversal of fortune, or so it seemed at the time for the apostles. This moment of majesty and glory was intended to strengthen them for the ordeal ahead and assure them that everything that was happening was a part of God's plan. Beyond our disappointments, large and small, there's always the reality of God's great big plan. And this season of Lent reminds us we get to be a part of it. 